This is a Stand Up Labs production, powered by digital media. On this week's episode of the Mandatory Samson Podcast, Matt Weiss is back from Israel. Hey, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. Of course, we're happy to have you. Joey's here. We got some good titles this week. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you'll already know if you're hearing this, but we're going to talk about Trump's immigration ban. We have an email from my friend Ahmed, who is an actual refugee in Turkey. We get into a ton of stuff, Trump odds and ends, Dakota Access Pipeline. It's Supreme a really, Court Justice. Yeah, so, Jesus, Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch being nominated. So we got a lot to get into. Stick around. I think it's a good one. This is Mandatory Samson's Podcast. Welcome to the program. My name is Christopher Flannery. I'm joined, as per usual, by Joseph Anthony Noe III. Hi, Joey. Hi, everybody. And making his triumphant return all the way from special assignment in Israel, Matt Weiss. What's up, buddy? Glad to be back, Chris. Almost forgot your name there. It's been so long. <laughs> it's, been, it's been weeks. He doesn't even know I'd, who I am. I'd like to report that uh, in Israel, I made sure to... Make a rude gesture towards the prime minister's office. Oh my god! I, well, I didn't. You know what? I don't condone that, and that's not the type of uh, show we have here. It's my own form of activism, I think. All right, fair enough. Welcome to the show, everyone. We have another jam-packed program lined up today. What are we talking about? We're talking about the federal immigration ban. Neil Gorsuch being nominated for the Supreme Court of the United States of America. We're also talking about federal land sell-offs by the Republican Party Uh and the Dakota Access Pipeline. And kind of a new segment, we got a Trump administration odds and ends at the end because there's some other things that didn't really fit into a category, but stuff that I did definitely want to mention about the Trump administration. Uh, And that's what we're going to get into at the end of the program. Meanwhile, I wrote this rundown largely critical of the Trump administration with a Trump entertainment resorts pen stolen from an Atlantic City hotel owned by the sitting president in what amounts to the smallest act of protest I could possibly come up with. Blow me, Mr. President. How many points do you get for that? Zero. Zero? I get literally, well, I get maybe a half a point. Now, who's going to protest smaller here? I'm not sure. (laughs) This kid, he left the country to go protest. He (laughs) flipped off Netanyahu. Uh... Also, uh-huh. we have an interesting email question from Ava, which we're going to get to during the odds and ends section of the podcast, okay. just I think where it fits in best. Before we get to any of this stuff in detail, I got an email from my man, Ahmed. Now, let me tell you this. Uh-huh. Ahmed listens to the J Train podcast, which is another podcast that I produce on this network. You can check it out. It's every Tuesday and Friday. And so he started, he found that podcast, started listening. Then he started listening to this podcast, which I really appreciate. Ahmed is an Iraqi born refugee who's currently living in Turkey. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, shit. And he got in touch with us. I've been talking to him over email for the last couple of days, Uh you know, over the last week, because obviously when the federal travel ban, immigration ban, refugee ban took place, he wanted to share a story with somebody. So he came demand samp and that's what we're working on today that's awesome so i'm gonna read just a couple of we went back and forth a few times mm-hmm. i got a few emails here i want to read it because i want this to set the stage for the facts that we have about the federal immigration ban. okay fair enough yes <coughs> so this is what we got from ahmed he said hello man sam 
And by the way, because I'm referred to as Matt's Hemp on the J Train podcast, so that's why he's calling me Matt's Hemp. Sorry in advance for my English. He apologized for his English. Solid. He speaks English way better than I speak Arabic or, you know, so he does a great job. I don't speak it at all. He goes, I just want to tell you my story and my friend's story. I'm a refugee from Iraq and I live in Turkey now. <coughs> excuse me. Three years ago, I got, excuse me, Jesus Christ, polar seltzer, cranberry lime. Three years ago, I got death threats in Iraq. So living there was impossible. I went to the United, uh, what's the matter, Matt? There's a lot, you say, do the polar seltzer thing and then you go into, I, three years ago, I got right, death yeah, threats. Well, <laughs> Just, <laughs> listen, they're both realities. What are you going to do? Uh, so we went to the United Nations Refugee Agency uh, in Turkey. And after three years of waiting, he had his first meeting and they accepted him as a refugee this January. Okay. The next step is to figure out which of three countries he can go to, America, Australia, or Canada. Not bad. Not bad, no. I'd go to Canada. <laughs> 99%, well, no, you can come to America. Listen, I, six mo- weeks ago, I'd say come to America. No no problem. Now, yeah. uh, I don't know. And I'm not being flippant. I mean, I really, it's a serious situation. He says 99% of the people that are chosen go to America, essentially. So you almost know pretty much which country you're going to after the first meeting with the UN. Now he says, now with Trump, and I love this because he spelled Trump with an A by accident, I think, so he's, he's called him Tramp. So maybe we oh, call, like him, maybe we call him Donald Trump from now on. <laughs> uh, now he goes, now with what Trump did, it means we don't have a future. There are 2 million refugees, 2 million refugees here in Turkey. Most of them are from Iraq and Iran, and America was our hope, and now we don't have that hope anymore. He waited three. He says, I waited three years for that first meeting and I need two more meetings. uh, But now that Trump has banned us and made things impossible, he's not going to get those meetings. He says he has a little bit. Thank God he has a little bit of money to live a normal life. But there are families here who are really poor. In the first day, he went to the U.N. refugee agency in Ankara. He told them about his situation. But because there are so many people, they just gave him a piece of paper with a date. And he says the date. That's on that pit. Now, meanwhile, the reason why I'm running through all of this is because the narrative has been, well, we don't know who these people are. We don't know how they're getting into this country. They're just, they're not being vetted. Uh, They're being vetted. Yeah. Ahmed has been sitting in a a fucking refugee situation for years now. And now it's even more uncertain. So he goes, so they give him a piece of paper with a date on it. The date can be changed by the UN refugee agency. For the first meeting, he was scheduled for June 2017. All right. He came in December 2013. Yeah, that's bad. Right. This is the paper. Well, it's not bad. It's the situation. Yes. I mean, obviously, okay. it'd be better if he could, you know, get this done quicker. But that that is the situation. So 2013. Now, his meeting was scheduled for June 2017. He has to show the paper to Turkish police so he can get another paper and stay in Turkey without problems. He has to go to the police station every Friday to put a fingerprint proving that he's still in the same city and didn't cause any problems. The date, June 2017, uh, when he had to go to the agency in Ankara to explain what happened, to talk about the death threats that he's received being in Iraq, uh, was moved up. All right. It was moved up to January 2017, which is right now. Well, what's the problem there? Trump's the president and this order has come through. So now his meeting got pushed up, which is good. He's happy about that, but his likelihood is going to be denied. Yeah, or whatever. They just. delayed like things are just thrown into chaos now because of what trump has done he also goes i linked a video from a tv show named last week tonight with john oliver which i was like oh it's hilarious because this is a john oliver if you guys are interested in looking it up 
a while ago when this really during the campaign when this first became an issue Uh that Trump had brought up did a great segment explaining what the actual process is for refugees to go through and we're going to detail that in a little bit but John Oliver did it and it's brilliant I told him I was like I watch the show all the time I saw that segment you're absolutely right this is the right you know thing for people to check out it's like 10 minutes if you guys wanted to watch that too but we're going to get into it as well this is his friend's story because my friend has been living in Texas for two years and he has a green card, which means he's a legal permanent resident of the United States. He was working with the U.S. Army as a translator. He went to America by, through the same refugee program that Ahmed is in. He says, two weeks ago, he came here to Turkey to get married and now he can't come back to America because of the, because of the ban and he also can't go to Iraq because he will be killed because he worked with the United, uh, with the United States as a translator. There's people in Iraq that are not thrilled about that Uh okay so he's sort of in a limbo situation he can't stay here in turkey for more than a month because his visa will expire what is he gonna do Ahmed asks and i said i honestly don't don't know know what he's gonna do there has been some updates it seems like people that have worked with the u.s army will be allowed back in the country they won't need waivers because they've obviously they've been vetted they've been vetted they've been cleared whatever but they work for the government right there's a long vetting process to be allow you to work with the army. Yeah, of course. So. Right. So anyway, so pl- as a, and also the visa program and all that stuff. So anyway, but we'll get into that. But he goes, I know my English is really bad. Sorry. I hope you can understand. No, it's fine. You speak exactly the same English as Joey, basically. Yeah, you did good, kid. You did great. Uh, something else, if I may. He goes, 15 people who did 9-11 were from Saudi Arabia and two were from the United Arab, United Arab Emirates. They didn't get banned. I don't say that to, I don't say that they have to be banned, but that's insane. <laughs> I agree with you. Mm-hmm. He goes, Iraq is fighting ISIS along with Iran and Syria and America too. We are on the same side. Thanks. Well, thank not you. To Trump, yeah. Buddy. Well, no, of course not. Well, well, okay. Mm-hmm. We'll get into it. So anyway, so that was the first email I got from Ahmed. And I was like, oh shit, this is like one in the morning Saturday night. Now I'm fucking fired up. I'm yeah. like, this is, I don't, you know, I can't wait to record this week. So anyway, so I go back and forth with Ahmed a few times and I'm just going to read two more emails that I got there. These are quicker and then we'll, we'll go on to the actual facts of the case. But I was like, this is a rare opportunity. We're actually talking to somebody who's in the program yeah, who's actually experience. being affected by it. Right. It's not bullshit. This is a, right. This is firsthand account of what's going on. Hello, Chris. Today, one of my best friends in Baghdad called me, uh, and he has a sister who's married with three children. One of them was born in America. He has an American passport. Um, They've been in America for two years, and his sister and her children went back to Iraq to to visit family, but the husband stayed in America because he can't come. Again, another situation where if he goes back to Iraq, he's got death threats. They can't risk it. All right? Now, he says, the sister uh, cannot come back to the husband and two of her children have school. They can't come back either. He goes, the question is, what if they went anyway in an airport? Mm. Well, uh, like when they get there, he's saying, will the airport just allow the one year old who was born in America? Will they let the one year old through and reject the wife and two kids that were not born in America that don't have passport? He's like, this is crazy. What are they supposed to do? If the band stays for longer than three months, they can't see their father anymore. This is insane. He keeps saying it's insane. He's right. These are all things that were not thought out whatsoever by the trump administration they don't care and how is keeping a family like that apart or delaying the how is that keeping us safe it's not and also the another important question is how is that even american oh well i mean it goes against the basic you know fundamental values of what america is that's like give us your tired your hunger your poor you know all that yeah. shit like your your huddled masses your masses yearning to breathe free yeah exactly and we're just like no actually no you don't get to come in anymore. Like, there's no... Okay. 
Final email. This is an interesting one because I just asked a little bit about what his situation is like. Yeah. As a refugee, he says, I have a little money because when I was in Iraq, I was working as an internet provider for my neighborhood. In Iraq, they don't have uh, internet via cables. It's all wireless. A big company sends a signal to providers in neighborhoods where Ahmed would be then, and then he sends it to people's houses. So that's how it works. When he went to Turkey, his brother started working instead of him uh, and sends him half the money he earns in Iraq, so which is like $400 American per month. He says, I live... Good. I rent a nice flat. It's like 125 bucks a month, 200 with bills because it's small city and it's a little bit cheaper. He goes with a heater and gas. He can buy food and cook other people here. For example, they have a house in Iraq, so they rent it and live from that money. Others have retirement, etc. Some of the refugees don't have any money like this. And they came here with nobody left in Iraq to help them, or they came with very little money. Um, and they can only stay for a few months and then they, and you know, and then once it's done, they, they're, in trouble. You know what I mean? They don't have enough money or, or resources to, to live a decent life. He says in some rare cases, the UN refugee agency helps them a little bit. Um, and sometimes the governor of the city will help with food every month, but it's really not enough. And you know, they end up living without food and heat and like legitimate shelter. And they end up sharing with other refugees in camps and things mm -hmm. like that. So that's, you know, he's saying there's 2 million people there. So I would imagine a decent percentage of people are not living a, great situation no, which we've talked about before that's where it starts to get dangerous because then people feel rejected mm -hmm. to an extent um and resentful and whatever so that's where you know you want people to actually feel like yeah we're working on this you can be welcomed into a country and it's not we we don't want you to be in this situation but it seems like in certain cases that is what ends up happening he goes, we uh, refugees are not allowed to work in Turkey. They told us the first day at the UN Refugee Agency, but there is some of there are some of us working illegally in restaurants or cleaning or building, et cetera, like construction, whatever. He says, if police know that, you'll get in trouble. Um, and if the Turkish, the Turkish do know that people are doing this, so they use it to their advantage. So they pay people way less. Yeah. He's saying, uh, for 12 hours working a restaurant, it's less than $10 American. If you're Turkish or work legally, you get paid way more than that. And you have health insurance and all that stuff, which meanwhile, what does Turkey have national health care? We don't have national health care. Mm -hmm. Frustrating. Uh, okay. He goes, Turkish people are good people. They're kind, accepting, not racist, and they understand our situation. And, uh, he lives alone, but his family is still in Baghdad. Thanks. Well, also the, uh, another major concern about this travel ban is the everyday citizen doesn't see the troubles that other individuals are going through. So maybe if there was a way that more people could be exposed to these hardships, they might be more inclined to be more, uh, you know. Do more activism. Yeah, get a refugee pen pal. <laughs> I think that's the best way. I mean, this was very... I, I love talking to Ahmed, and Ahmed, I appreciate it, man, if you're listening to this. Thank you, and good luck, and stay in touch, of course. Uh, also, I, we kind of... we exchange, Ahmed gave me his Skype. We'll see. If he's comfortable, maybe we'll have him Can call we Skype in. Him? Yeah. Cool. Um, but we'll figure it out, because I don't know if he is as comfortable with his English yes. speaking, so we'll figure it out. But anyway, thank you, Ahmed. Shout out to you, my friend. I hope things are good, and uh, I hope things get cleared up soon, and, you know... But who the fuck knows with what's going on with this president? Uh, but yeah, but that's the real deal, though. This stuff yeah. is like, it's enlightening to me to actually be able to, you know, because I emailed him and I was like asking a shitload of questions. I was like, sorry. I was, you know, he's like, no, no, no. Feel free to ask questions. He's not doing anything. That's the thing. They're not allowed to work. Yeah. So people are just kind of sitting there. They're living their life, but they, they're in a holding pattern, you know, and, and before Trump and now after Trump, that's really the case. So well, anyway. And everywhere these refugees are, it's just them sitting, sitting, doing nothing and people... Oh, an entire generation of these of these 
refugees being wasted. Oh, 100%. And that's what that's another factor. It's like, you know, the idle hands is the devil's workshop. Yeah, I was just going to say that to you. You got people sitting around long enough. It's like they're going to try to figure out something to do. And, <laughs> and if you want to radicalize people, give, give them reasons to be angry and plenty of time to talk. Well, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. It's give, like people like, being give resentful. Them a place to right. be, give them, these people just want to work for a living. The best way... Well, yeah, they just want to have a life. Do you think that people just want to sit around and do nothing? No. he'd. I mean, ideally, he'd rather be back in Iraq, but he can't be. So, okay. Yeah, and ideally, there'd be no wars to run from, but... Yeah. I mean, I thank Ahmed because... At the end of the day, I think the best way to overcome xenophobia is just to be to expose yourself to these people and realize they're not that different than you. No, hundred percent. And again, think, think, put this into perspective. He he's apologizing for his English. Meanwhile, I understood completely what he was saying. He got yes. everything across to me. Uh, they, these a lot of refugees, a lot of people that are in other countries, the Middle East, whatever. Don't even have that. No, I'm saying they are exposed to our culture way more oh. than we're exposed to their culture. I don't speak Farsi or Arabic or any That's of any true. of the languages. Like he's watching John Oliver. He's familiar with all this stuff. Yeah. He listens to podcast. Like I, that that's the difference. You know what I mean? It's a you, it's a big difference there. You have British imperialism to thank for that, I guess. But the, a blessing and a curse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, so anyway, thank you, Ackman. Now listen, let's get into the federal immigration ban. We're gonna go through it deep. I didn't realize how like in depth I had it, but I do have it pretty in depth. So we're gonna get into it right now. You guys ready? Okay. Yep. Uh, at around 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Friday last, U.S. President Donald Trump signed a, quote, extreme vetting executive order on immigration, which, due to its lack of details and instructions, sparked chaos and protests at U.S. airports and cities around the globe. Uh, let's see. The order puts in place a 90-day block on entry to the United States from citizens from Iran, Iraq, Syria, Yemen, Sudan, Libya, and Somalia, as well as suspending admittance of all refugees to the U.S. for 120 days, including indefinite suspension for Syrian refugees, who, in my opinion, are the truly most vulnerable people yes. right now trying to come into the country. It also caps the total number of refugees admitted to the United States in 2017 at 50,000, as opposed to 117,000, which had been admitted in 2016. Only 10,000 Syrian refugees have been admitted overall since the Civil War began, which is a paltry sum comparatively to the amount of people that have been displaced. And, you know, yeah, it's that's a big difference. Yeah. Uh, good point. <laughs> Meanwhile, early Saturday, sorry, Joey, I didn't mean to be condescending. It's okay. Know. Meanwhile, early Saturday, Brooklyn Federal District Court Judge Ann Donnelly ordered an emergency stay on deportations of any individual currently being held in U.S. airports, saying, I don't think the government has had a full chance to think about this, which I got to agree with Ann Donnelly on that one. Uh, basically, the stay will apply nationwide and will last until at least. February 21st scheduled hearing. There's a hearing that's going to take place whether to with, you know, uh, uphold the stay or mm -hmm. what, you know, whatever they're going to, they're going to talk about it more. However, the stay impacts only those quote on American soil at the time the order was being signed. So if you were in the air when the, are you kidding me? Or if you're at the airport, like you're landing pretty much, then that's, you're allowed to stay. The other people that have landed, who knows what's going to happen to them. They get, huh. they get sent home in a lot of cases. Okay. By the way, Trump fired the acting attorney general Sally Yates on Monday night when she refused to his, uh, defend his executive order. 
Well, she was gonna. She's gonna be out as soon as Jeff Sessions is appointed. Well, okay, but whatever. But I'm just yeah. saying, he's like, you don't agree with me. They, they accused her of being disloyal or something. It's like, what are <laughs> she you? She was never loyal to you in the first right, place. Right. What are you talking about? Um, it was reported on Saturday by Reuters and confirmed by Acting Department of Homeland Security spokesman spokeswoman Jillian Christensen. The ban includes green card holders, permanent legal U.S. residents. However, on Wednesday, now this is what, see, it's like on Saturday, they said this. On Wednesday, they changed yeah. their mind because like they didn't think it through. However, on Wednesday, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer gave an update to the order after White House counsel issued guidance to government agencies saying green card holders were exempt from the ban and no longer required a waiver to reenter the United States. Also, dual nationals, for example, people say you're from Syria uh, and France. Mm-hmm. You can use your French passport as opposed to your Syrian passport, and you'd be allowed in. It, they really didn't think anything. They didn't think it through. through. And Iraqis who worked for the U.S. government, like Ahmed's friend, translators, etc., would also be accepted if they have the proper, you know, paperwork. But that's three days after the fact. Oh yeah, of course, right? I mean, it's been absolutely, it's been utter chaos, right, for yeah. for several days, and it's uh. You know, it's nice to see people going out. I mean, immediately reacting, going to the airport and like, fuck this. We're yeah. not doing this. I have facts that we get into, but you guys have any thoughts about this? Like as you were watching it unfold? I mean, I just have to think that if you're actually going to, if someone's actually a terrorist, they're not going to go through this whole refugee process. They're going to, it would be a lot easier to go get a, a, a EU, pa- EU passport somewhere. Oh, 100%. Well, we're going to get into that a yeah. little bit, like the uh, the actual process you go to. Right. But you're way better off getting a tourist visa is, or whatever. Right. Yeah. All this is going to do is radicalize more people. This is only going to hurt us more. We're abandoning the people who have helped us. This is There's no good that can come from this. Right. And my, uh, my favorite term is this extreme vetting, making it seem like it's almost like omnipresent, which it can't be. What do you mean? Well, it's extreme vetting, so they're definitely going to do the job right. So you know nothing's oh, right. going to go wrong, right. and it's going to take a long time to do it. Like it's going to be six months. Well, we talked again. They're solving a problem that doesn't exist. exist. Yeah, you know, and that that's what really is concerning, and that's what they're doing. Trump won the election, saying he was going to solve problems that don't really exist. That that's the issue. It exists for a, a, a minority of people in the country, which fair enough, they have legitimate concerns about work and and losing their jobs, and you know. But Trump's solutions are not going to solve their problems. Once again, the overall overarching systemic issue is that there's too much corporate dominance over all aspects of our society from news to elections to politics, all of that. Um, and yeah, this is, a, a, once again, a problem that he's solving that does not exist. Well, uh, go ahead. Uh, no. I just want to say immigration rather than going, you're talking about corporations and stuff. Uh, immigration is one of those things that it's, it keeps coming up in this country over and over again as an issue. Every generation has an immigration crisis. Did the Irish ruin this country? Did the Germans ruin this country? Did the no. Japanese ruin this country? No. Well, the Germans kind of. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking the Germans. No, the, just kidding. I'm talking back when Ben Franklin was complaining about the Germans. Yeah. Not so much. No, for sure. I, well, that's the thing. I mean, the I, Prussians. I, I think we've talked... Yeah, I was going to say Hessians, right? They're yeah. more like mercenary rebels. Um, I think we've talked about it on the show before. To me, the way to solve the immigration crisis problem crisis whatever is very simple if you're here already and you haven't committed a crime you're here you're an american citizen ta-da if you have committed a crime let me finish if you have committed a crime or something then you can be deported and then once that's settled once that's figured out then you can really rework the immigration system to allow an easier passage for people that 
you know, you you set up a, the a, a vetting system that could go quicker potentially. That's going to be effective. You get people in, and then then you can actually have steeper punishments for people that do illegally come in. But you have to make the process much more streamlined because time is of the essence for a lot of people that are trying to leave these areas, war torn places, or dangerous places in Mexico or wherever they're coming from. That's what needs to be done. But bad news, everyone, you're not going to and you wouldn't want to get rid of seven million, eight million people who are yeah, technically here illegally, but are contributing or are not a problem and are part of the fabric of the way the country works. That's what Matt's point is. When the Irish came over, the Italians, the Polish, whoever, uh, they built the cities. They yeah. were involved in that. What do you think uh, illegal immigrants from Mexico or wherever uh, they're part of the fabric of the country. They're working in your restaurants. They're building. They're doing things. They're, they're doing l- labor jobs that people in America don't want to do. That's the reality. They're not well, taking jobs from people. And if you want to slow Im- slow immigration to this country, illegal immigration, if you want to slow it down, I know you've talked against free trade in, at times, Chris, but the way you stop it is you make the condition, you have a freer market, you make it so pe- there are jobs in those countries. Oh, sure. Like, uh, if, yeah. if, if there are jobs in other countries... People will stay there and they'll have a better life there. A better world for everyone is just, that's what we should be aiming for. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I don't have a problem with illegal immigration, really. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I don't but, care. But, but I, I know you've, like, during the yeah, no, TBP but, talks and stuff like that, you've talked about. A- absolutely right. And that's, you know, that's part of the thing that, that Trump is overlooking where he's, like, trying to punish Mexico. He's going to tax exports and all this stuff. Yeah, if, if Mexican the Mexican economy isn't doing as well, more people are going to want to leave Mexico, not yes. stay in Mexico. A, yeah, a, a trade war is going to hurt everyone. Yeah. There's uh, no winner of a trade war. I think at some point, though, I hear you, you're right, but I think at some point these things do have to be unwound. I don't want Trump to be the one unwinding them. I would have much rather it be Bernie Sanders well, or I, Hillary, but she wasn't going to do I that. I think if we're expecting him to unwind things, he, he shows how, he's shown his hand in the way he uh, has done this executive order. A careless, just throws at, the, throws at the wall, sees what sticks, and then tries to fix things later. That is not the way things can be done. Yeah, as a, a news dump essentially. It's four thirty on a Friday. Is how he does this executive order. That's what he does. And it's kind of amazing. I've seen a lot of people be like, "Well, this is what." And even I think I guess it was Kellyanne Conway, that lunatic. She was like, "This is what happens when you get a president that does what he says." You know, like blah blah blah. Oh god. Um. Yeah, but though here's the issue: during the campaign and during all the primaries and all the uh, debates and everything, we said he's saying policies but he's not giving detailed prescriptions on how to actually roll those policies out what is the policy and like don't worry about it he's got one yeah, he's got no it. he doesn't he is following through on things he said i'll give him credit for that uh but that's bad because he doesn't actually know what the policy is he's just going i promised i'd do this and i did it great <laughs> well, but that's not effective well, he's following through on some of the stuff he promised to do uh yeah, then, yeah. then he goes and talks to pharma uh pharmaceutical companies this week and all of a sudden, we don't have to negotiate prices again. Everything is A-OK. Right. Yeah, but that's not true at all. No. No. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that one. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I would. If I was a fly on the wall, I probably would have killed myself. <laughs> uh, the State Department says between... Uh, since 9-11, 800,000 refugees have been admitted to the United States. 20 have been arrested on terrorism charges. That doesn't mean that they've committed acts of terrorism. It maybe means that they were trying to do something. 20 out of 800,000, that's like 2%. Yeah. Okay. So it's not a tremendous issue. And I would imagine that's probably roughly the amount of people that get arrested on terrorism charges just generally. You know what I mean? As, that's that's like a normal amount of people out of 800,000, a million people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 20 of them. Yeah, that's probably about right. Because we've seen it. We've seen a lot of people that have committed acts of terror in the United States. 
they're born here. Dylan Roof, that's the same to me. A guy that's like off his rocker and wants to go kill people. He's being a terrorist. He's a domestic terrorist. But that he counts. You know what I mean? He's yeah. one of us. So that well, that's it. Well, and that guy who went in, in uh, Quebec and shot up a mosque recently, he's a terrorist. Right. Yes, and beautifully, Justin Trudeau, uh, who's the Prime Minister of Canada, said this is a terror, an act of terror against Muslims, which I like the way he phrased that because obviously radical Islamic terrorism is how, you know, Trump... And yeah, they're not radicals. Were. Well, the point being, the person that attacked the the mosque in Canada, he's a radical, but he's not Muslim. He's just a radical person. Yeah. That's the point. You know what I mean? Anybody that does shit like this... Can be really radical. Matter. Well, well yeah. Trump you know. tried to blame it on his on radical, radical Muslims. Yes. The guy's a Trump supporter. He's yeah. a white... Is that official? That's true. That, that's uh, everything. Like a white was, nationalist. Everything I was seeing is saying he's a big fan of Trump. He's all. Yeah. He's very on the make America great again okay. bandwagon up but, in Canada. It's hilarious. He's in Canada. It's like, hey, dummy, you don't even live in America. Get your own stupid politician. What are you doing? You already have healthcare sorted out up there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, what are you complaining about? Things are great. Uh, uh, let me say this though, by the way, because it's not to dismiss the fact that yes, there it does seem like a, a strain of people that are perverting islam or whatever you want to call it there are people that are being radicalized through those teachings you know what i mean we're not going to pretend that that's not the case but that doesn't mean that automatically because you're muslim or you come from a country like that that you are radical you know that that's that's silly i mean the way i view the world is yeah there are people there are going to be people who are radical but at the end of the day most people don't have it in them to kill most people are not violent people there's a select few who are going to do these and you're they're always going to be there they always have been there have been christians who have been radicalized throughout Throughout the centuries, yeah, there have been radical Jews. There have been every religion has had their fringe society. Yeah, that should, they should not be judged on those people. No, I, I agree. Now, between 1975 and 2015, zero Americans have been killed in the United States by foreign nationals from the seven countries that Trump banned: Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, or Yemen. Now, I get a tweet. What was that number again? Z- oh, zero. Zero. Between 1975 and 2015, no American has been killed in the United States by someone from those countries. Now, I got a tweet today from someone. I could open it up. I apologize. But I got a tweet being like, hey, because I mentioned this on the J Train podcast also. And he was like, hey, there actually was a guy who like stabbed somebody at OSU. Um, But I think that was in 2016. Now that I'm thinking about it. So I'm still correct there. But okay, so one. And it was a little bit of a uh, semantics argument. The guy that did the stabbing at OSU was born in Pakistan, grew, grew up there. Then he moved to Somalia at like 15 years old or something. Then he came to the United States at, on like a legal visa and then stabbed somebody at OSU. So technically, okay, but but all right, so but, maybe one person. But, but but suffice to say, there have been more people killed by Americans than there have been oh, by... Islam. please, yeah, of course, of course. So anyway, so all right, I just want to put that out there, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying, between 1975 and 2015, zero. These are not the problematic... Uh, if you want to get killed by an, uh, by somebody from uh, Sudan, Syria, whatever, go. You have to go there. <laughs> They're not coming here to kill us. That's no. the problem. You know what I mean? That's the situation. Zero, zero of the nineteen nine eleven hijackers came from those seven countries. We've talked about it. Saudi Arabia is where a lot of them came from. Pakistan paid for some of them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. These these are countries that have been involved, but. Oh, Pakistan has nuclear weapons, and we're allies with Saudi Arabia. So, well, and we're not going to ban. And you know, Trump does business in the United Arab Emirates. We're not going to fucking. What are we going to do? Going to mess that up? It's political, yes, nonsense for a minority base of people in the country. I saw a tweet 
the other day that I, I enjoyed. It was a stat. And it was like, the, it gets thrown around that Trump lost by 3 million votes. It's not true. He lost by 11 million. He lost by 3 million to Hillary. 11 million if you count all the other people that did not vote for him. People that voted oh. for Jill Stein and voted for uh, Gary Johnson and voted for the guy well, from he, Utah. I can't think of. I mean, he so he lost to Hillary uh. by just the difference between the two of them. You can't include those in what she lost by. Cause but I'm saying 11 million people didn't you know what i mean like did not vote for him uh, as opposed to the three million difference between him and hillary clinton it's an interesting point i get it but but, but at the same time there's probably some of those gary johnson voters who are much more aligned with trump than they are with hillary that's fine but they still didn't vote for him the refugee screening process all right okay this is important yes because again this is happening with the idea of being like we don't know who they are we're not vetting we fucking are vetting okay and this is how the screening process on average takes 12 to 18 months. And now in some cases we see it takes a little bit longer because we're talking to Ahmed. He's been there since 2013. Number one, identify themselves at the UN refugee pro- refugee program and get interviewed. So immediately people that want to be considered refugees go to the UN. They get an interview. Okay. A resettlement center reviews their documents. Step three, people from the Middle East get an iris scan. They get their fucking eyeballs scanned for like a database, I guess. They check it against Uh different things. Okay. Uh, Four, the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, the State Department, the National Counterterrorism Center screen the refugee. So how many organizations is that? Five? Four. four, FBI, DHS, State Department, and the National Counterterrorism Center. They now screen the refugee. Okay, that's step Mm -hmm. four. So that's a few different groups. Now, to say that they're not being vetted seems disingenuous already at this point. Department of Homeland Security conducts interviews, collects fingerprints, and looks for fraud. So they're interviewed, they go through all this process, and then still... More interviews, fingerprints. They All right, for so, so so we have interviews. We have the eye scan. Yeah, the eye scan. We have fingerprints. Yeah. And four agencies already have interviewed an individual to make sure that they are who, who they say they are. Yeah, over the course of a minimum a year. Okay. Right. Well, well, I have to imagine also, I haven't. I don't know this for certain, but I imagine if you have one single mark against you in this, it just shuts down everything, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, here, I was going to say, if security concerns arise, you repeat steps four and five. So you get re-interviewed again. So, right. So at and that point... In all likelihood, if, so, if yeah. once you get a mark against you, it's probably you're done. Yeah, I, unless... Yeah, they because they're. I'm sure they're not going out of their way to be like, well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Nobody wants to be at the guy signing the paper allowing the guy who commits the terrorist act into the country. Of course. So then six steps. So, all right, so assume you go through four and five, everything's okay. fine. If something's, you know, amiss, you go back through those... And you processes. did it again. And you do it again. Step six, you get a medical check. Number seven, applicants attend cultural orientation classes. Hmm. Okay, so if you're coming to the United States, I believe it's eat a few cheeseburgers and then that you vow to only read the headlines of articles. That's part of the cultural. So, you know, oh, you could have done better. Orientation. Could I Hashtag have? do better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Joey. Uh, so anyway, so you attend cultural orientation classes, which I bet a lot of people don't know. I'd love to know what that process is like. I should ask Ahmed, actually. Eight, you're booked for travel to the United States and are then screened again by U.S. Customs agents when you land. Just in case we miss something, they're like, well, we're going to go over it again. Then you must apply for a green card within a year of arrival to the United States. Does that sound not like a vetting process to you? So if what I, more? What do you want? What else do you want? Well, what would be the, the difference three. with extreme vetting? What, what would you have to repeat steps four and five like five times? Well, that's the thing. I don't understand. It's not extreme vetting. It doesn't seem like they've changed that process. It just seems like they're like you don't come in. 
But that's not vetting. That's just being like, you don't come in at all. Yeah. So what, how is that a vetting process? That's the opposite of a vetting process, right? Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Have you heard anything about the steps being altered where it's like, well, actually step nope. three now, now you got to like, what, what, what did they add it to this? Maybe no one's asked them. I can't imagine that to be the case, right? Somebody must have thought <laughs> to ask them that. Uh, Washington State, New York, Massachusetts, and Virginia are suing the Trump administration over the executive order. So that is ongoing. Meanwhile, the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, has uh, been heavily involved with this. They were on the scene when people got there. They freed two Iraqi um, travelers mm-hmm. uh, on day one and they've been working with a lot of people to try to get them out of you know whatever airport jail or whatever the situation they're in they've received the aclu has received three hundred fifty thousand plus donations as of monday totaling 24 million dollars which is roughly six times as much as they receive per year normally so wow, the aclu huge. normally gets four million a year they're at 24 million in like four days so that's nice. That's nice. Yes. That's a that's a positive thing. Sia, the singer Sia, uh-huh. uh, Rosie O'Donnell, Judd Apatow, they've all donated a hundred thousand matching dollars. When people have donated a hundred grand, they've, they've matched. They've it. matched it. That's good. Lyft uh, has donated a million dollars over four years. But you know why Lyft is doing it because of that whole debacle with uh, Uber. What do you mean? What whole debacle? You you, 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 you didn't a, see it over the it weekend? Delayed Uber. Well, marketing. No, what so, did Uber do something? I'm saying yes. Lyft donated a million. What? What? What did What did Uber do? Uh, for, from what I understand, Uber, the uh, the the taxis wouldn't pick up some people and take them to the airport. Okay. Because that was a protest. Yeah. So, so Uber the, released. You, first oh, oh. of all, let me say this. Yes. It's annoying, mm-hmm. but that's how Uber does. Like those people are contractors for Uber. Uber doesn't tell them they have to go do anything those are you turn off your fucking thing if you okay. don't want to go to the airport that's because, why you don't go uh, because apparently no no that's that up, was that's the, up no, to the driver no no, no, no. taxis the, the the taxi service union wouldn't go take off people then uber yeah but they did that as a form of protest because a lot of people that drive yes. taxis are people from these countries and they have family there or whatever yes. so they're protesting that's why so then uber has people go there and jack up the rates and they yeah, were dropping oh, people oh, off I see. yeah but that's how fucking uber operates I, that, I, unfortunately that's so how it works the way i read the way i read this i could be wrong was that yeah, i didn't read really anything i, I, about I think it. i saw it was like a sort of damned if you do damn if you don't type situation so it started with the taxi drivers protest because of the whole ban right then Uber has it set up automatically so that uh, if there's an incre- increased traffic to any area, there's an automatic rate, hu- right. rate, uh, rate hike. Right. What, uh, so because of this, like during terrorist events or anything terrible, uh, they've put in a button that they can push that says, okay, we're going to uh, go back to normal rates just for this time. We're going to cancel this. So they, they thought, okay, we'll do that. So it doesn't seem like we're trying to take advantage of this, these protesters. Right. People want to get the to JFK and protest. But at the same time, it makes it look like they're trying to be scabs during the taxi driver strike. Okay, so yeah. it really so is it a is. damned it, if you it, do, it, damned okay. if you don't. So that's situation. a damned if you do situation. But good. For, so okay, and, and I don't have a problem with Uber doing with what they did. I mean, and, in, okay. And then, then Lyft is like, okay, your people are mad at Uber. Have a million dollars, ACLU. Yeah, it's good marketing on their part. It, it is, but I don't care. That's fine. Yeah. Capitalize on that all you want. It is positive marketing for Lyft, but good for them. They still donated a million dollars to the ACLU. But yeah, understood. Right. I mean, you know, I don't. Uh, fine. So okay. So their motives might have been, maybe they didn't have a hundred percent like, you know, altruistic well, motives. But I don't care. They donated a million dollars. Also, the pro like. Well, I know where people have taken issue with Uber that I forgot to mention is there are strong ties with the CEO and Trump. So that's 
Okay, but I I got to Yeah, but we've seen it before. We've seen yeah. Uber in different countries even. When there was a terrorist attack in Australia or something, they, they were like jacking up. It, it is what it is. That's how the system and the operates. The problem is like the algorithm just has that. So yeah. it, the, where there's more traffic, there's going to be an increase. There's going to be rate hikes. Right. The computer doesn't know that it's 9-11. You know what I mean? Like, the, oh, the plane's at the tower. Let's fucking jack it up to five times. They don't know that. Mm, it's just yeah. because there's more people trying to get it. That's what happens. Uh, oh, so I was going to... Hold on. Let me read. So I got these two. These are two tweets from the sitting president of the United States. By the way, I got a tweet from somebody um, <laughs> the other day. He mm-hmm. was like, I'm done listening to your podcast. Like, it's too biased. Like, oh, wow. blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. Like, sorry. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You gotta, <laughs> like, what do you want me to do? You got to own and keep each one, Chris. No, you know what? I don't. I, I've never. Cl- Let me say this. Mm-hmm. I've never claimed to be unbiased. Everybody knows that's listening to this podcast pretty much where I stand politically, how I feel about policies. I always give my opinion. That's what the podcast is. But nothing I say is factually incorrect. And if it is, you can correct me, and I'll correct that. But I've, yes. I never distort facts. That's the difference. There's a difference between just biased reporting that is completely distorting what's going on. I tell you what's going on. And then I go, this is how I feel about it. Right. This is editorial. And you tell people not to use hyperbole. Yeah. Yes, exactly. How many times have I said that? Yeah. Don't be hyperbolic. Only use the fact. Yeah, exactly. Right. I can assure you in the past week, I've been quite hyperbolic, but I'm trying to tone that down. Yeah. You tone it down. It's not worth, you don't have to be. There's plenty to talk about the, the, so anyway, yeah. So, but whatever. But it's like I got one, you know, I got one from that. And then I got one from an immigration agent on Snapchat. He sends me a picture of his badge and he's like, you should run for office. Like, I agree with what you're saying. I'm sick of being under Trump. Like, nobody agrees with him. So, okay. So, you know what? You get it from both sides. But it's just funny. Like, I'll vote for president, man, Sam. I feel like I could do it. No. <laughs> okay. uh, well, watching this, I fucking could easily do better than this, I feel like. Um, you know, that was the other thing. It's like you're being biased. You're not saying any of the good stuff Trump did. I did say that I liked what he did about TPP. Yeah, I literally don't thing. think any of the other things he's doing are good. I don't. I disagree with what he's doing. That doesn't. What does that mean? That's biased? No, it's my opinion. I reported on what he's done. Yeah. These are two tweets from Trump. He goes, if the band... Because I guess people were like, why didn't you say this was happening you know instead of just dropping it at four o'clock on a friday goes if the ban were announced with a one week notice the quote bad would rush into our country during that week a lot of bad quote dudes out there exclamation point i don't know why he's putting quotes around dudes does he not believe <laughs> that's the, the that their guy because they could also be dudettes yeah, I guess. He's like, a lot of trans <laughs> terrorists coming in. Like, what are you talking oh. about? Uh, no, but anyway, and then oh. he goes, the bad would rush into our country. The bad would. Hmm. First of all, how do you rush a flight, fucking moron? <laughs> yeah, they'd rush in. They'd be like, oh, shit, we got to buy a plane ticket and fly quickly from the Middle East. What are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? There's no quick flight from Iraq to New York. He's so he, it's frustrating. The bad. What what a simpleton. You see, it, what was frustrating with me so much is I'm so I, a president who can't think of a better way to express his feelings than saying very very or incredibly or they're so bad. They're very bad. It's there's the English language has so much more creativity. Well, you know what? Here's the, 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 the understood completely. I get it, especially coming off of probably the most eloquent or one of the most eloquent presidents you're ever going to have. That's like very thought out, Michelle. Very reasonable. Uh, to this guy, but okay. Then he goes, there is nothing nice about searching for, there's nothing nice about searching for terrorists before they can enter our country. This was a big part of my campaign. Study the world, exclamation point. Study the world. What What does that mean? In reference to what? Study the world. 
That's like uh, somebody yelling at your kid, like, learn! <laughs> I mean, it's a good suggestion. Learn math! Yeah. It's a good suggestion. Yes, I will study the world. Why don't you study the world, big guy? No, a lot of people don't agree with you around that. Okay, so anyway, so that's Trump tweeting. And now, here's the inevitable clip of Sean Spicer defending the detainment of a five-year-old boy of Iranian descent for several hours at Dulles International Airport on Saturday. A five-year-old? Yeah. Okay. Who argue this travel ban will make the country less safe? Okay, let's let's go back and look at what it is. Seven countries that the Obama administration had already identified needed further travel restrictions. I, I understand that, but what I'm saying is, is that the president recognizes that it is his duty and obligation to make sure that we keep this country safe, and that he's and by instituting a process by which we look at these countries over a 90-day period and the process by which people can come in and out of this country to ensure the safety of each and every one of us, I think is something that makes a heck of a lot of sense. So now let me ask you this question. Uh-huh. So he does all this. Say 90 days pass, 120 days pass, whatever the indefinite amount of time for Syrian refugees. He just extends the ban. No, 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 no. But I'm just saying, okay, say it's six months. Okay. Everything's fine. Now they've done their review. They've looked at it. They're like, okay, we're letting people back in. We have the process in place. What happens six months and one day a terrorist attack happens? Who's Who's to blame? Is it the refugees fault or is it this this administration's fault? Because now, now, like I've said about Trump care and whatever, this is their policy. It's, this, it's not oh, the administration because they did everything they could to prevent it. No, right. And and still they couldn't. Right. So it's their fault. Then my point being, this is no longer Obama's policy that if we're going to play this game where it's like the world is in you know chaos, we have American carnage. Um, as soon as the administration ex- issues an executive order and then puts their hands on something, that's their policy now. This is no, to me, the, the travel, the vetting, all that stuff, this is now Trump's. This has nothing to do with Obama at this point. No, is Obama's gone. Yes. Right, you know what I mean? Because 9-11 happened and I, you hear the fucking argument all the time. Well, it was actually Clinton's fault. Uh, Bush was in office for six months at that point. How is it not? He had nothing to do with it. It's not it. So now what's the argument going to be if something happens this is going to be obama no the trump administration is actively every day altering policy so couldn't be more clear this is their fault if something happens yes yes i mean is that be honest is that unreasonable because i don't want to be too biased i mean is that unreasonable well i think i I think what happened was uh at what point no, no trump and the administration took a look at the ban that was in place that obama put in back in 2015 he didn't put a ban in. Are you talking about Iraq? That was he, he put something in. About it was six the, months of like increased vetting. It wasn't. He wasn't banning except people. Those are the countries that one of them, Iraq. He didn't do it with and, all and the it was, other ones. And it was due to an actual, pers- like an actual threat. Right. Like there oh, was, okay. it was a response. There was a to physical threat that the, C- the CIA had identified, or whatever right. organizations had identified. It was very real, very targeted. Yeah. Which is okay. Fine. That, that, all right. I understand that then. Okay. This is just no reason. I mean, literally no reason. Xenophobia. Yeah, or whatever it is. I think it's I think it's to cause chaos. I think it's I, to appease a base of people. And I think it's just because why we can. We I mean, I think well. it's I partly think it's so it's talking Steve, tough. Steve Ben can distract us with this to get us to not pay attention to the other things he's trying to do. Well, we're gonna get into Bannon yeah. in a little bit. Yeah. Um 
that's the thing. I don't know if it is to distract. It certainly is a distraction, but I think the strategy is here's everything. We're just going to do it all at one time. So you are going to miss stuff naturally, but I, I think that they wanted to do this and they want to do whatever they're going to do in the future and what they're going to do mm-hmm. tomorrow and what they did yesterday. They want to do all of it. So. And, and the hope is to fatigue people who are protesting. A hundred percent. Don't, I'm, encouraging everyone i can to if you're angry stay angry don't let them wear you down just keep remembering this of why you're angry and well i want to right i don't want to say stay don't stay angry stay motivated you know what i mean because anger burns you out stay motivated pay attention to it stay focused see it stay focused i I know exactly what you're saying yeah i use anger in the sense that okay you're angry now channel that yes vote in two years vote in four years absolutely as a millennial i get so frustrated when i hear voting doesn't matter Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does. This is the consequences of not voting. Remember mm. this next time you're going yeah. to tell someone, my vote doesn't count. Right. You weren't here last week. My advice to people is not trying to convince people on the other side to vote, to agree with you or to vote. Get, get more to people. To, get more people. Just add more people to your team. I mean, go out and register people to vote. Explain to them why this is a problem. Get local representatives elected. Get, you know, th- this is this is the go well, time. You th- know? Th- there are people in the middle who, can- who are actual moderates, will swing back and forth. There are those people. There are mm. on both sides. There's you'll get people who will never swing. Right, but, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But don't waste your time with that. There's pl- there's a hundred million people that can vote that don't vote. Go get them. Go get ten percent of them. You win every election. Uh, all right, let the baby man finish. I, I understand, and I think in a lot of cases, and, and I say this respectfully, that I think some people have not read the what exactly the order says and are reading. I, I read the order. It's it's like a couple of pages. It's whatever. It's maybe ten pages. It's non-specific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it is vague. It doesn't have any specific instructions in it. It's absurd. Through misguided media reports. I mean that that's when you actually read the report and understand the nexus of it and how it's working. And again, look at how it worked. When you talk about the 325,000 people, 109 were temporarily inconvenienced for the safety of us all. I uh, will fact check that. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, th- there was one thing in the when I actually read the the executive order that I thought that made me laugh. The United States cannot and should not admit those who do not support the Constitution or those who place violent ideologies over American law. In addition, the United States should not admit those who engage in acts of bigotry or hatred. Actual language from the from there that seems right. just out. Stop the uh, president and Steve Bannon from getting into this country. Yeah, really. Right. It's like you can't really legislate against that. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like the people can be that, bigoted. You're bigoted. Right. Like, that's your supporters that you're trying to prevent there. That's <laughs> right. And they were processed through, Kristen. That's the process. I get my, the point is that you can go through and nitpick and say, okay, well, this individual is, but that's why we slow it down a little and to make sure that if they are a five-year-old, that maybe they're, they're, they're with their parents and they don't pose a threat. But to assume that just because of someone's age or gender or whatever, that they don't pose a threat would be misguided and wrong. <laughs> oh, what? So basically he's like, listen, it's a five-year-old, but we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. He, he's all about equal opportunity terrorism. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. How dare you, Kristen, say that somebody of a, a certain gender and age cannot strive to be a terrorist and be successful? I believe it's hilarious. It's actually a pretty positive message. I yeah. believe a trans five-year-old who identifies as male can be a terrorist just... Right. What is he talking about? Somebody else got mad. Somebody that does listen to the podcast a lot that I've like had long conversations with on Snapchat. He's like, you know what? Like you're making fun of their like mannerisms and stuff. And like, well, yeah, okay. We're trying to be funny at some points. I I spend 
hours a night doing research on this stuff and getting all the Can facts. You John McCain, I can't have a little fun. I have a McCain quote. I'll read it. Okay. Later. Don't worry. You want to do it now? Don't you worry. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Joey's all excited for that. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> oh, he's been working on it. I, I heard last week. Don't worry. Oh, I listened to you, you people. Well, oh, was it a oh, good, nice. good McCain? No, yeah, it was. It could use a little improvement, but you have to. Uh, I'll work on it. You're in the, in the right direction. <laughs> all right. Fact check on Sean Spicer, by the way. He said 109 people were slowed down by the ban. Actually, mm-hmm. 1,059 green card holders and 50 and 75 visa holders were granted waivers as of Monday, uh, but obviously they were delayed because yeah. this came out on Friday. Not to mention an estimated 20,000 refugees and millions of people generally barred from entering the United States, plus 721 foreign nationals were kept from boarding planes to the United States, and between 200 and 250 people were denied entry when their flights landed so that's more than 109 that's, that's a lot a, more than 109 that's a lie it's a it's like an old dane cook bit where he's like here comes a lie i'm just gonna pull one out for you that's what they do that's a lie let's not lie anymore okay come on please baby man let's not lie anymore baby man he is he kind of reminds me of a baby man he just likes to scream a lot he's an angry guy yeah, obviously. Like he feels like he's like ready to snap all the time. He's very George Costanza. I, I just keep thinking back to the West mm. Wing constantly and their image of a press secretary is like, oh god, I want that. Do you know I never watched the West Wing? You never watched it? Nope. Oh, my and god. I love Sorkin too. I never watched That's, it. I don't like Rob Lowe. The first four seasons of that are my favorite show ever. Is it great? Yeah, the oh, newsroom yeah. I loved. I've liked. I've always loved everything that Sorkin's done. Really, but although the Sports Night's r- one of my favorite. Right, of all right time. now, right now you might mm. go back and be so depressed about it. Yeah, you know what? Listen, I think part of me thinks the trouble being for eight years just because the Democrats don't have anybody really, uh, or there's nobody obviously on the horizon. It's like all these corporate Dems, like uh, what's his face, Cory Booker, and whatever. Yeah. And I think the country's probably not in the mood to elect an Elizabeth Warren. Although who knows? But anyway, but I mean, g- give give the DNC time to react. First, they're gonna first they're gonna figure out who's the DNC chair. Then I know, I know and they're, they're already starting off with a problem there with Tom Paris. That's gonna be an issue. If, DN- if if Tom Paris is gonna end up being the DNC chair, that's an establishment pick. That's I a mean, guy that supported Hillary. That he was running. I, 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 I thought Ellison running. was one of the front runners. Ellison came out first, but it seems like a lot of people, a lot of the establishment Democrats, the corporate Democrats, are, are supporting that's the Tom case. Perez. Why, right. When will people learn that there was so much support for Bernie Sanders? There's... No, I know. I, it's that's, frustrating. This is that's news what I'm to saying. me if that's so, the case. That's what I'm saying. So the, the fucking pussy-ass Democrats, they, they, wow. always find a pro- they always find a way to They need to uh, stop shooting themselves out. in the foot. Yes. And we're going to get into this with Neil Gorsuch, because I have the fucking strategy, Okay. Okay. Oh, man. Okay. I have the strategy. Before we get to that, Joey. Yes. Boy, am I excited. It's been three weeks in a row now. We have a sponsor on the program. Our sponsor is Blue Apron. I've gotten some positive feedback from some listeners of the show. People are checking it out. They're going to blueapron.com slash Samson, and they're getting three, their first three meals for free with free shipping. Blueapron.com slash Samson. Now, Joey, if you had to tell me what exactly Blue Apron is? What is Blue Apron? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Perfect. That's a, You know what? That's kind of what I thought. But let me ask you this. Now, I know you knew that. But if you had to tell me what Blue Apron's mission is, would you be able to do that? Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everybody. Wow. Okay. But how do they achieve that? I know you're telling me what their mission is, how, what you know, what the company is. But how do they achieve that? 
Blue Apron achieves this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Doesn't sound like you were reading that at all. Great job. Blue Apron has established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. As a result, seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Beef, chicken, and pork come from responsibly raised animals, and produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. This is important. We talk about factory farming and you know the over corporatization of 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 america that's important i like to hear that and that's why it's it's our pleasure to support blue apron the way that they support us you you have to support local farms you Mm -hmm. have to support responsible practices because otherwise you're just destroying the land you're not treating the animals fairly and then the food suffers you know what i mean the quality of the food is not as good blue apron listen to this can be delivered to 99 percent of the continental u.s and 99.5 percent of food deserts places where people don't have access Mm -hmm. to fresh food because blue apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe they are reducing food waste this is a win-win for everybody and let me tell you something listen to these meals before i get to the deal Here's the meals. Cashew chicken stir fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice. Mwah, that sounds good. Matt, you'd eat that shit for sure. Yeah, damn straight. <laughs> Roasted pork with apple, walnut, and farro salad. That's a nice meal when it's cold or whatever. It's good anytime. But you want to get a little home cooking, a little comfort food? Ooh, roasted pork with apple. Walnut mm. and farro salad. That sounds nice. Crispy barramundi with quinoa and roasted carrot salad. And udon noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs. That sounds terrific. Those are featured upcoming meals. That's not all you can get from Blue Apron because you can customize your meal preferences and all that stuff. But those are featured meals that their culinary chefs have come up with. Sounds goddamn good. Yes, it does. Making me hungry here, Chris. Yeah, of course. Well, I'd love to eat it. Here's the deal. Check out this week's menu. I mentioned a couple of those featured items. And get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Samson. That's S-A-M-P-S-O-N. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. You really shouldn't wait. It'll be dumb to wait. That's blueapron.com slash Samson. Joey? Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, next order of business here. Thank you to Blue Apron once again. Uh, We got a Supreme Court pick. Neil Gorsuch is the gentleman's name. On Tuesday night, President Trump... You guys are ready to start, right? I feel like I just... Uh, On Tuesday night, President Trump announced the nomination of Circuit Court Judge Neil Gorsuch to fill the vacancy on the United States Supreme Court. At 49 years old, he's the youngest nominee in 25 years. He attended Harvard Law. Currently, every justice attended either Yale or Harvard Law. He clerked for Justice Byron White, and he also clerked, who's dead now, and he also clerked for sitting Justice Anthony Kennedy. If confirmed, it would be the first time a justice and his former clerk sat on the Supreme Court together. Hmm. This is the president announcing the pick, and then we'll hear a little bit from Gorsuch, who, for what it's worth, sounds like a very intelligent guy, an eloquent guy, and a guy who is qualified, but we're going to get into it. When Justice Scalia passed away suddenly last February, I made a promise to the American people. If I were elected president, I would find the very best judge in the country for the Supreme Court. Today, I am keeping another promise to the American people. Oh, thank you. You're so noble. Thank you, sir. Thank you for keeping your promise. 
I nominate <laughs> Judge Neil Gorsuch. Yeah, and let me just say before I announce him, I am a real great guy for doing that. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people are saying. Of the United States Supreme Court to be of the United States Supreme Court. Mr. President, Mr. Vice President, you and your team have shown me great courtesy in this process. And you've entrusted me with a most solemn assignment. Standing here in a house of history and acutely aware of my own imperfections, I pledge that if I am confirmed, I will do all my powers permit to be a faithful servant of the Constitution and laws of this great country. Of course, the Supreme Court's work is vital not just to a region of the country, but to the whole, vital to the protection of the people's liberties under law and to the continuity of our Constitution, the greatest charter of human liberty the world has ever known. The towering judges that have served in this particular seat of the Supreme Court, including Anand Scalia and Robert Jackson, are much in my mind at this moment. Justice Scalia was a lion of the law. Agree or disagree with him, all of his colleagues on the bench cherish his wisdom and his humor. And like them, I miss him. He was, they were lovers at one point. Um, so anyway, so the guy is very, uh, what? Oh, no. So this, oh, so he's no. a, <laughs> he's a, uh, an eloquent guy, obviously, yes, an intelligent guy. You, you could see, I was like, my eyes are rolling in the back of my head. It's like, oh my God, good speech. I like it. I love it. Yeah. Well, we're going to get it. So, right. Cause the elephant in the room is Merrick Garland was appointed by, or whatever, nominated by former president Barack Obama. Yeah, there was no hearings, nothing. No, they refused to. Okay, so anyway, so let me say this before we get into that. Uh-huh. According to 538, Gorsuch falls between Scalia and Clarence Thomas on the scale of liberal to conservative. So he's extremely conservative because Scalia was as conservative as they come. Cla- uh, Clarence Thomas is even farther to the right, well, so that he falls in between Cl- Clarence Thomas, Thomas and Scalia. is an interesting case because he's not smart enough to be really be on the bench. He was always Scalia's puppet. He's you never he was a silent justice. I don't res- I respect Scalia extreme like such a great deal. I have no respect for T- Clarence Thomas. Yeah, I didn't agree with much of what. Yeah, Clarence Thomas. It, it's funny I, actually that you mentioned it because Clarence Thomas spoke a little bit at the um, the inauguration. I was like, son of a bitch! I haven't heard this guy talk in you know twenty years. Nobody nobody knew he had a voice. Right. And he's, mm. I remember like how big of news it was a, a year or two ago when he finally spoke after Scalia. I guess it was after Scalia. No, it was before Scalia. Died. It was before Scalia died. Yeah, I forget what it was about. But right. But anyway. But okay. So Gorsuch. Is quite conservative mm-hmm. based on his rulings. You know, you don't know how he'd act on the bench because a lot of, you know, you never know. But yeah. based on the other rulings that he's had, he's quite conservative. Here's what I have to say about this because the big question is is he going to get a vote? Are the Democrats going to help confirm him? Because they're going to have to get some Democratic votes. Now, Nine justices. We're at eight right now. Mm-hmm. Nine is a full court. Nine justices is not a constitutional requirement. They started with six. Six is required for the court to do their work based on the Judiciary Act of 1869. So the least amount you need is six. Okay. In this guy's opinion, there is absolutely no circumstance under which the Democrats should bring this guy to a vote. Period. The Republicans set the precedent by not allowing Obama to appoint a justice, which was 100% constitutionally his right and duty to do that, right? Mm-hmm. He got to nominate yes. Merrick Garland, and it was their obligation to at least 
call him up for confirmation hearings and, and they're going to vote against him fine they didn't do that and not even fine they really there was no reason why Merrick Garland should not have been confirmed okay and cuz Garland wasn't like some liberal darling he's a guy that had broad support prior to that being the situation he had been confirmed to be a federal judge right and mm-hmm. so he got support from a lot of republicans well, so is Gors- so is Gorsuch and he's okay. fought, he's that's fine more partisan the di- yes he, right exactly and the, but the difference being the Republicans are the one that set the stage here. They yes. would not bring up Merrick Garland. As far as I'm concerned, there should not be another Supreme Court pick until you absolutely have to. Meaning, when there's five, then the sixth one should be the one that has to be appointed. Well, until then, absolutely not. There should be no appointments, as far as I'm concerned. So, so I did get so excited when I saw you send that uh, article about that because I, I'm I'm big on this kind of uh, historical ner- yeah. nerd type stuff. Sure. Uh, a recommendation for anyone interested in Supreme Court history. Uh, there's a great podcast offshoot of uh, Radio Lab called More Perfect. Okay, does, does a really good job explaining more of Supreme Court history, sort of where it got God's power. And oh, great! Back in the day of okay, yeah, there was six justices, and it used to not be a very powerful court. Right. There's no requirement saying it has to be. Absolutely. It just the Constitution says there will be a court, a Supreme Court, to oversee the other courts. Right. And guess what? Mm. Here's the other thing. So now you have eight. It's actually in the Democrats' best interest right now to allow decisions to go because if there's deadlock, it goes back to the circuit courts, it goes yeah, back to the state courts, whatever. As it should it's be. actually in the Democrats' best interest right now because there's a lot of judges and justices appoint, judges, excuse me, point, appointed by Obama at this point. So you kind of want those decisions to go back to the states and let them rule out until Trump starts appointing people and then it becomes a problem. Also, you have eight. Everybody's saying Trump's going to get one or two or three. So you know what? The next justice that dies actually makes it a better situation because you have seven then. Mm. It makes right? it much easier to deal with. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, look, and there's nothing academically wrong with the guy. There's nothing uh, that doesn't make him qualify. He's qualified. I'm not saying anything he- about this guy. It has nothing to do with him. It has to do with the fact that they would not. They've set the stage. They would not appoint Obama's justice. The Democrats 100% based on the attitude of the country, based on all these protests, based on everything that's going on, have no business appointing this guy or even taking him to a confirmation hearing. The Republicans will find a way to do it themselves. Well, okay. Now I have a quote about President Trump talking to Mitch McConnell, uh, who's the Republican uh, majority leader. Now, was this pillow talk or no? Come on, Joe. He's they're both he's they're married guys. Isn't Elaine Chow? Is that her name? Elaine Chow? Is she taking over for transportation secretary? That is Mitch McConnell's wife, actually. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This is Trump to Mitch McConnell to your point. If we end up with the same gridlock we've had in Washington for longer than eight years, I would say, if you can, Mitch, go nuclear. Because that would be an absolute shame if a man of this quality was put up uh to that was put up to that neglect. I would say it's up to Mitch, but I would say Go for it. So basically what Trump is saying here is going nuclear essentially means this. 60 votes right now is a filibuster-proof majority. If you need something passed, if you need someone confirmed, whatever, you need 60 votes, meaning you need all the Republicans plus like eight, I believe, Democrats. Mm -hmm. That's how you'd get it passed. The nuclear option means changing rules, parliamentary rules, to make it 51, a 51 simple majority. Yeah, it's going to happen. Which... I'm not, I've talked about it before. 51 is a majority. It's stupid that we have a country where 60 is how you get anything done. All right. So I'm not totally opposed to that, but let, that's fine. Let the Republicans force their hand, make them be the ones to get rid of the filibuster because down the road, down the road, you're going to want 51. Right. So 
Okay, but the Democrats should not cave. It's not their fault then if he comes up for a vote, which in all likelihood, he's going to come up for a vote anyway if they say they're not going to do it. They're going to change the rules and they'll get him there anyway. So fucking don't be the party that just goes, well, you know, in the interest of... No, make him Trump is not it. trying to compromise jack shit. You got to play the game and play to your fucking base because you don't want this animal in there for eight years. You don't. Now... The, no, okay, I have a question. Wait, the bigger... I'm rolling, Joey. The bigger problem is... A 49-year-old justice could be on that court for 40 years. You're in a bad, you know, whatever, 30, 40 years. Fuck, man. Fuck. Yeah, but the the one thing that you maybe haven't known is that there was evidence. What? What are you saying right now? There was evidence that the longer these Supreme Court justices sit on the bench, the Uh longer the term is, the more liberal they get with age. Really? Tell that to Anton Scalia. Yeah. I'm just saying. I think that... Where'd you get that from? That might be though, because they're affect. You know, as much as they say they're not, they are affected by the culture and the mood of the country. Right? Yeah, I mean, they they become more. The, the culture affects them, and there's a small sample size of justices, so yeah. a few might get more liberal, more liberal with age. Scalia certainly didn't. No, he was a brilliant, a brilliant jurist. He was an incredible justice. I disagree with everything the man had to say, but he was brilliant. Right. Well, I mean, there was some torture logic in there, whatever. But yeah, okay. He was. I, I, he, but amongst I, his peers, he was extremely well respected. Yeah. There's, you know, there's a lot of even I mean, if for him, people that totally disagree. Him and Ginsburg were like best friends on the bench. Yeah, that, which is so odd. Well, Meanwhile, Ginsburg, yeah, she hates hates Cap. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of just fascinated by. <laughs> I'm sort of fascinated by Scalia and how I can disagree entirely with someone's essence, but at the same time respect him as an eminently intelligent person. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, that's the interesting thing. Like with Gorsuch, I probably wouldn't agree with most of his decisions just based on what I would like the outcome to be, but it doesn't mean that his his logic and his reasoning, that that's the thing about the Constitution and about l- law, then that, that's what they're doing. They're trying to yeah. interpret the Constitution to fit whatever situation they're dealing with or what or vice versa, but that's what's interesting, and that's why these strict constitutionalists and people that think that it has to be adhered to, let it to the law, that's not the case because they're well, interpreting it well, here's constantly. The thing. All right, here's the thing. Gossage, yeah. he believes in o- originalism. All right. The idea Say it of, again, Joey. I'm sorry. Originalism. Okay. Is the idea of the Constitution should be interpreted as perceived at the time of enactment and of textualism. To textualism, I guess this contextual. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. The idea that st- that stats uh, statuses should be interpreted literally without considering the legislative history and underlying purpose of the law. You're you're looking at a document written 200 years ago and are trying to apply it to abortion or other money in politics, which they had no idea was going to happen. Right. Or well, ne- that, net neutrality or things sure. That- and he might be an issue, and in my opinion, he's going to be uh, more leaning to the right, which is going to be a problem. Here's the thing. you uh, That's great information that you brought. It can go either way. That's yes. the thing, because uh, what's his face? Roberts, who's a Bush appointee, he sided on the side of the ACA. You know, he's like, this is not a tax. It's a uh, whatever it was. I forget what the, the argument was. But he sided, He actually yes. sided. With, okay. So it doesn't automatically mean that it's going to be stuff that's going to go the wrong way. It's just a different way of looking at it, which is the point. If you can make your case and it's legally sound, that's the beauty and the kind of brilliance like you're referring to of what Scalia would do or what some mm-hmm. of these other, you know, well, I, I justices think, would do. I think but yeah, but I get your point though, Joey, yeah. right. It, it, it's almost impossible sometimes to apply something that was written hundreds of years ago 
to net neutrality or whatever. And in a properly working Citizens government, United. In a properly working government, I think the court is actually better served when you have a Ginsburg battling with a Scalia on the bench, and you have a you have the, you have the polar opposites on the fringe of the court battling ideologies, and then the cent- more centrist ju- uh, judges. I think that makes for more for a more interesting dynamic. Right. Uh, I'm not sure we have a healthy enough democracy right now to really for me to really root for that at the moment. But yeah, no, I, I absolutely I agree. Uh, right, I want the right numbers on the right side of so the bench, like, I'm or, just or the left side, depending. I, I'm so torn over how I want this to go down because I'm a little bit scared right now, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I know exactly. Well, look, I've already said it. The way that I want it to go down is it doesn't go down until until absolutely the Republicans force the hand and, and get it done themselves. But otherwise, Make them force the hand. Yeah, it'd be insane for the Democrats. Insane for the Democrats to do that. It is just not a good move. And once again, it's not like the court can't function. It functions. And <laughs> and actually, once you get to seven or six, you're actually, you have a, the ability to get a majority there with seven and six right. is the original intent. Look, there's going to be eight of them that are going to cave and they're going to say yes. We'll see what happens. There's eight. We'll keep our eye on. There's eight in 40. Trust me. All right. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, all right. Final thoughts on that. Are you ready to move on to the next uh, bit of information we have here? Uh, the, the one thing I did want to mention is... Uh, if uh, recently a lot of the court cases have been going back to the states, as we mentioned, because of the 404. Right. If the money in politics is Citizens United comes up again, uh, Gorsuch believes that it's a fundamental right that that you can give money to politicians. Yeah, he he views corporations as people, yes. which is so extremely dangerous. Which is going to keep everything status quo, which is not what we want. No, which would further lock in what I believe is the true problem behind all of this, which is money in politics and corporate control. So if that is a now you're saying Gorsuch believes we're we're basing this on up past decisions. Yes, not like past decisions. Right. Correct. But okay, but right. So if that if past is pro, you know precedent, then. Yeah, then we're in yeah. a bad situation. If something like that comes up, it will lock that in for forty years. Well, at, forty at, more years. At this rate, if we want Citizens United overturned, it it's going to be have to be by constitutional amendment at this point, anyways. Like it's, in all likelihood, yes. Oh. The court won't take up a case like that again for a long time, as is. Right. So if we want that done, we need to get a very dumb, a very liberal Congress, very liberal Congress. I can't st- slurring here. It sounds like uh, a very liberal. Senate, and we need to just ram that through. Yeah, the other things, that's true. I mean, the other things, though, that a constitutional amendment is going to be fucking impossible, I think, basically, well, that, in this day and age. Basically, people, the only way it happens is if yeah, people get really angry about this, if people, if millennials wake up and actually go out and vote. Right. And say that we want this to save this country. Right. <clears throat> well, the other the other aspect that some of the Democrats realistically could do in the meantime is pass more transparency laws. You know what I mean? It's like you can sit fine. If corporations are going to be allowed to, then you have to take away their, um, anonymity. You know, you have to do, you have to chip away at things like that. I I mean, people find, will always find ways to skirt those laws. I I remember the stock act that came into effect a few years ago to try to prevent, uh, insider trading for congressmen. But they had, oh. they had they had a clause in there saying, "Oh, but your family members can have those right. stocks." Like, what? what? Yeah, well, it's the oh, same. That's exactly bullshit. what they're doing with the Trump shit, where it's like, yeah. you know, I, it's going to be in a blind trust or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, but his kids are going to run. But he already knows what's in it. You know, that's the <laughs> thing. That's the problem. Like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. I don't know that I have something to do with energy transfer partners, but I do. So, so I'm not going to sign that North Dakota Act. Well, all right, here we go. So this is federal lands and the Dakota Access Pipeline. Representative Jason Chaffetz, who's a Republican from Utah. 
has introduced legislation on the heels of last week's action by the Republican Congress to procedurally devalue 640 million acres of federal land with the intention of giving it back to the states or selling it. Uh, now he's trying to sell 3.3 million acres of national land, which is about the size of Connecticut, um, that he says serves no purpose for taxpayers. I will say this update Chaffetz in between me writing the rundown and me talking into this mm-hmm. microphone has been like, listen, I heard you guys. I'm taking that off the table. Oh, it thank God. Which is good. This particular part, it doesn't take the 640 million acre thing. Mm-hmm. It's just the 3.3 million acres in Utah. If you want to call and tell him that was the right thing to do and tell him not to try to reintroduce any of this stuff, his DC office phone number is 202-225-7751. That's Justin Chaffetz in DC. And if he's in Utah, you can call 801-851-2500. Let him know the Mandatory Samson podcast sent you and that you like the fact that he took that bill off the table and that you should encourage him not to do that anymore. Now, we're going to keep seeing this hat. He's not the only one that's going to be doing this, and the Republicans are pushing for it. They're trying to give away what is actually our birthright. <laughs> we're born in this country. This is public land controlled by the federal government that is all of ours. People hunt and fish and camp and whatever they do there. This is bad. Plus, our our forests, our mm-hmm. animals that we're, you know, like, this is our birthright as Americans and to give it away or to give it back to the States and to lease it out to corporate. It's just madness. It doesn't Gotta make sense. that money, Chris. Well, yeah. Okay. Teddy Roosevelt would be ashamed of trying to give away federal land. Like yeah. That. It's shameful one because the, once it's gone, it's gone. Well, one of, it was a great Republican who thought, a who, conservationist, a real conservationist. The, he's the one who started the, the national parks. Yeah. He is the conservation president. Meanwhile, aging, not aging, acting Secretary of the Army Robert Speer, he might be aging, I don't know, has directed the Army Corps of Engineers to proceed with the easement needed to complete the Dakota Access Pipeline, saying this will enable the company to complete the project, which can and will be built with the necessary safety features to protect the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and others downstream. Okay, keep in mind, I mentioned it a minute ago, Trump, our president, is invested in Energy Transfer Partners, and he has received money from the CEO of Energy Transfer Partners. So, isn't that a conflict of interest? Like right off the bat, feels like that's right a off conflict the bat. of interest. Sure, but like Chris, he signed that. That has to be. But Chris, remember Citizens United? He had a good chat with them. He didn't receive money. It's speech. It's speech, Chris. Yeah, I know. It's so crazy to conflate money with speech. It's really mental. Just remember, some of us are born with more speech than others. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, good point, Matt. Right. Yeah, some of us are just we just have more words in our pocket that we can throw out at the problem. Finally. Oh, I wanted to say, so the Dakota Access Pipeline, there's going to be more protests. There's going to be a huge, huge problem. Ronda Rousey, Malia Obama, Shailene Woodley are just some of the uh, celebrities that have, or whatever, you know, famous people that have gotten involved in the protests. Ronda Rousey took a road trip with another, I can't think of her name right now, but she's another judoka uh, Olympian. They went, they brought supplies there, which is very nice. Uh, Malia Obama, famous daughter of former president Barack Obama was filmed out there at the protest. And Shailene Woodley, who's an actress has been very involved in the whole thing. So I just wanted to put that out there. Finally, and I'm not glossing over Dakota access. We're going to stay on top of that. Finally, an Iowa pipeline managed by Magellan midstream partners. LP spilled 140,000 gallons of diesel fuel that, which is just 3,300 barrels last week, the largest diesel spill since 2010. Ooh. 
So, again, we can keep pretending that a lot of these things are not dangerous. They are. They're going to spill eventually, and it's going to destroy the environment. It's part of the problem. I'm less anti-pipeline than you are. But Go probably, ahead. Why? Probably, I mean, my, I have a degree in chemical engineering, for those who right. don't know. So I see, I sort of look at it as, okay, there are necessary evils in this world in terms of how do you get oil from A to B. I don't think you need to. Well, that's the, the, the fundamental disagreement. I don't think we need to get oil anymore. Well, the, until we get better technology, I think we need to be investing in better technology and investing in environment or investing in uh, renewable resources. Yeah. The problem is we're not there yet that we can supply the country without fossil fuels. Yeah, but I've said that we I I've supportive of a temper. I mean, like a legit temporary. You say five years or whatever of you know natural gas or whatever that type of stuff, which. I'm not conceding is not dangerous on its own, but okay, fine. If we need a bridge fuel, fine. Let's do it for five, 10 years, whatever it is. And then that's it. Then we're done with that. We're off fossil fuels and let's get on to the next one. Well, well, one of the, one of the arguments that can be made for, for building these pipelines is that there's pipelines out there that are, be, that are well past when they were supposed to be well past their service date. Like these are old pipelines and these are the ones that are often spilling. Yeah. So the fix argument them. is that's fine. Well, no, the argument is that you can't fix them adequately because they are just old technology. The oh. argument for building a new one is it's less. If you have better technology, newer pipelines, they're less likely to spill because it's just safer technology. Right, theoretically, so that, but that it, is the argument. Yeah. I'm not necessarily saying that. Not say there are flaws to that. There are going to be flaws to that argument as well. Right. I haven't seen all the data, chemical engineering side of things. I hear more uh, some skewed arguments, but it's not as cut and dry as the meat. Uh, like that is one issue I will argue with you on a bit. That's fair enough, but I think we've seen quite a bit with these company again when there's a huge profit motive like that yeah their their big concern is like what can we cut oh safety (laughs) Mm. we can cut inspections we can cut you know we can cut corners essentially to make a profit which is what the problem is if it was a hundred percent they're not going to spill then fine fundamentally i guess i have to be like okay i mean obviously dakota access is a different story a little bit because of the land that they're using and who it's affecting but if there was no spills then there is an agreement to be made the problem is we see over and over there's always going to be a spill because they do cut those corners. But if you look at other ways that oil is transported, uh, train there uh, a few years ago in uh, Lac Megantique in Quebec, there was yeah. a train that derailed yes. and s- oh. destroyed an destroyed entire town. City, it's right. like because it caught fire. Yeah, <laughs> well, it rolled down oh. a hill, hit the town, caught fire, giant explosion, yeah. horrible thing. So it, there's no clear answer of what's the best way to do it. Right. And in the meantime, we do need fossil fuels. It's a necessary evil for now. I encourage us to get off of them as quickly as possible. We don't need coal anymore because that's a dying technology. Right. But. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand, but I don't think, but it's not like if we don't build Dakota Access or we don't build the Keystone that we don't have oil. That's not true. You know what I mean? There's other pipelines, and I hear it'll become concern. more expensive though to get it here. If we okay, have, and so that's that, and that it, that's to my free market friends. <laughs> that's the point. Yeah, that gets it. Well, it's I mean, it's not strictly free market. If your free market would be, they can build the pipelines without regulations. Totally free market. Understood. But I'm saying, it's, but the, if prices go up, it's going to create a, a market based like we're going to create another solution. That, that is the gov- that that would be government incentivization trying to say, okay, this is getting expensive. Invest in cheaper fuels sure. that we will incentivize. R- absolutely, which I think should be a big priority. Uh, yes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And again, the the amount of people that are going to be permanently employed is like fifty or something mm-hmm. based on Dakota Access. Now pipe fitters and people that are going to like actually build the pipeline that work for different unions. Yeah. It's going to benefit them, but long term, it's not going to benefit them and it's not going to benefit the country. But, but at the same time using that, I, I struggle with that argument because during the Obama, Obama administration, I kept, uh, he kept harping on about there's, we can spend trillions on infrastructure. 
Well, building roads isn't going to create long-term jobs. No. It's the short-term, it's the temporary jobs that are the real boon of the economy there. Yeah. So there is, there is a Which benefit. did work with the Reinvestment Act and all yeah. that stuff with the stimulus. That did work. You go around and, the country, things were built, and there were signs up everywhere of like, hey, people are working. You know, it did actually get people back And, to and if you go back to the New Deal, how did, how did FDR help start digging us out of the Great Depression? He started investing, paying people to build roads, build highways, do all these things. Absolutely. So, Buildings in New York. Yeah. And obviously, the Keystone Pipeline is not anywhere near the extent of a project that's going to make that much of a difference. Right. I would love to see a new New Deal, like a new version of the New Deal that reinvests and builds, spends trillions on infrastructure, cre- creates uh, construction jobs that they don't require college degrees. You don't get student right. loans. It's just good working class jobs. Absolutely. Which that, is what, which is who are the people that are complaining? Because and, and those are jobs that can't get shipped overseas. Right. Mm-hmm. They have to be done here. Absolutely. That's, if you want jobs, that's how you do it. No, no question about it. The, the bigger thing, the bigger picture there is Trump's talking about an infrastructure program. He's going to put, it's going to be public private partnership. It's not going to be what people think. And I, I'm really cautious that's about be that. Bad. I'd wants, love to see it, but I don't think that's what it's going to be. He wants middlemen to make it more expensive for right. the tax taxpayer so right. he can pay more money to his friends that's what he wants that, and that's, that's real and that's scary yes because and, and he's talking about eminent domain go read into robert moses who who utilized eminent domain in new york city trump believe me is no fool when it comes to things like that he's paying attention to the history of new york and how things got built robert moses destroyed complete neighborhoods in uh harlem and different poor community it just took people's houses away built roads through it and then ruined those communities for generations trump is not afraid he's talked about him in a domain a hundred times he's not afraid to do that and think about it on the largest scale possible if he's doing it across the country mm-hmm. trillions of dollars public private partnership it's not a good situation the devil's in the details there it's not just an infrastructure program it's well, not and you say you say trump's no fool in these regards i think someone in his administration is no fool i think there's, I still would argue that Bannon is the one pulling the strings here. Well, I think when it maybe, but I think when it comes to stuff like this, I think Trump, you know, that's where Trump's expertise really is. You know, if he has expertise, it's it's in building and being able to skirt laws and you his know. expertise is in marketing himself. Yes that's- and no. I mean, look, I agree to an extent, but I don't think that you get to the point that Trump's at without learning anything about building. You know what I mean? It's like he has some idea of how it works, even if it's working around the system, he knows how Except that a works. lot of his building, like a lot of things with his name on it, he didn't build himself. It's, it's licensing his name. He does a lot of, of course, other now he does, of course, well, but, but, but he's, but let's not pretend he has worked with in construction and building and things like that. I'm just saying he knows how to get around or he has a team that knows how to get around, uh, laws and different things to be able to slap his name on a building maybe that somebody else built but i'm just saying but he understands that system um to an extent okay good conversation about that trump administration odds and ends do we want to have the conversation from ava the email she sent or we want to do the odds and ends and close with that what do you guys think let's close with the email okay rex tillerson former exxon ceo has been confirmed as trump's secretary of state officially 56 people, yay, 43 people, nay. Four Democrats voted in favor. Heidi Heitkamp, North Dakota, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Mark Warner of Virginia, and Angus King, who is an independent but uh, caucuses with the Democrats from Maine, voted in favor. Chris Coons, who is a Democrat from Delaware, did not partake in the vote. So anyway, going back to the conversation about oil pipelines and whatnot, former Exxon CEO Rex Tillerson is now the Secretary of State of the United States of America. Nice. So All right. d- during his confirmation hearing, I did notice that 
he was unable to actually talk about what he thought Trump's policies were. I'm just, like, I'm not sure if that's actually about him or just that Trump doesn't articulate that to him as well. Yeah, well, I think I think it's a little bit of both. I think the less you say about what Trump is planning on doing, if you know, the better. And yeah. I think there's also an element of they don't know. We've seen how some of the stuff is rolled. Like, is that unfair to say the way he's rolled out a lot of these executive orders? There's no instructions and people are no. fucking panicking. They don't know what to do. Yeah, Tillerson probably doesn't know. And the question is, what, like, was he unqualified because would he be unqualified for not knowing because it's his job to find out, or is he? Is would anyone in that job be kept in the dark because Trump wants both well, Trump and Bannon just want to do what they're going to do? Yeah, I don't think it's a specific to Rex Tillerson, right? Yeah, I think I think I think it's position. on a need to know basis, and, essentially in this administration. And, and he's one of those people I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to until I see what he actually has to offer. Yeah, I'll give him the I, uh, that's reasonable. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there for sure. But we'll see. But we'll keep our eyes on what he does with Russia. We'll see what he does with uh, energy policy and all this stuff. You know, I mean, okay. There's realities of the job day to day that you're either qualified to do it or you're not, and we'll find out quickly. Then it's the sort of, um, you know, the the more subjective cases when we'll see how he behaves in the in those situations. Well, well, uh, one last thing on the yeah. State Department. There's also. Uh, I don't believe you mentioned last week the people like they're all. Did you mention last week the people who got purged off from the? Yeah, it's. I think we did mention it that for the top, we did say it, the top four most senior. Right, I think you, yeah, I think people you, I at think, the state. I think you had framed it as they all quit when it still looked like that. Now it looks more like it was more, a bit of a purge. It lo- I'm not gonna. It's speculative okay. whether they were fired yeah. or whatever. Wow. But at the time when we were when we talked about it, it was saying that they yeah. quit. There is speculation that it's not quit. It's that Trump is kind of consolidating power and he got rid of these people. I don't know, and I'm not putting that out there as fact, but yes, that is part of a conversation that people are having. Nonetheless, the top four most senior people at the State Department are no longer there, and it's basically impossible, from what I'm reading, to adequately replace people that have been there for that long. It's You're not going to be able to do it. So either way, you know, the State Department is at a loss, but okay, but that's a, that's a fair point to bring up. Betsy DeVos, or uh, DeVos, or whatever the hell I've been calling her, will not be confirmed as Secretary of Education if anyone else jumps ship after Republicans Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski bailed on her, they said they're not going to support her nomination. Mm. However, <laughs> Pat Toomey uh, seems to be the deciding vote right now. He'd be the guy that would keep it at 50, and then the tiebreaker goes to the vice president, which obviously would then vote in favor. Um, Pat Toomey is seen as the deciding vote. He's a Republican from Pennsylvania. Through a spokesperson, he says he'll support her. No. So in all likelihood, she will be confirmed. The no. DeVos family, listen to this, donated $53,400 directly to Pat Toomey uh, in his most recent run. Speech. That's the thing. And that's why I, I was glad you brought that up because it's like, is that free speech? Is that what she's doing? Or is that like, here's $53,000. There's some money. You vote for me <laughs> when, I, when it comes up. It's quid, a clear quid pro yeah. quo. That's what you're trying to say. Yeah, I was going to. And- uh, yeah. Yeah. That sucks. Now this is what Matt really wants to get into. So anyway, yeah, but DeVos, she's a scary one. She's not scary personally. She's probably she a nice person. She's not qualified she's for that position. Completely out of touch with what's going on there. And I'm really concerned about charter schools and all that stuff. They're a good idea in theory, but they're not solving a problem. They're creating another problem. The public schools, if you look around the world, if you look at Finland, which has the best public schools in the world, all of their schools are the same. All of them. They mm. all teach the not that they, they teach the same thing, but they have the same um, standards for education, class size, 
equipment. They all operate under the same idea, but they have different teachers that are all teaching, you know, in their own way, but they have a set of standards and they have the best schools in the world, the best educational system in the world. I think creating a second tier of schools where you have charter schools as opposed to public schools, man, you're going to leave a lot of kids behind. And people go, well, why aren't those parents in those public schools? They get to pick. Isn't that good? Yeah, some of them, the ones that are paying attention, but there's also lotteries where you don't get into the school you want to go to. And there's reality of the situation in poorer neighborhoods or whatever. Some of the parents are simply not paying attention. And then kids are truant and they're not going to school. And so you're creating a situation now where kids that didn't have good schools to begin with are now even being left further behind. Because either the school that they should be going to, their public school closes and they got to be bused an hour and a half away or whatever. Uh, or they're not going to the charter school, which is obviously better because it's getting um, more funding and more specialized attention. And what about the what about the, a Jewish kid in Alabama who has to go to a can only go only has Christian schools available to, sure. to him? What right. about what about? So, I mean, I respect Murkowski and Collins in this respect because they're representing their people well. Right. Uh, if you like their states. There's a lot of people in the remote areas where no one's going to go and set up a charter school there. Sure. My mother is from very far north in Maine where it's a tiny town in the middle of nowhere. No one's going to go up there and set up a charter school. Absolutely. Well, and also if you're the type of person that's going to donate millions of dollars or whatever to set up a charter school, you're also probably the type of person that would like that charter school to teach stuff you think is right. Yeah. (laughs) So that's another situation again where now you've even uh, put corporate interest or whatever, very wealthy interest in charge of education in, in some ways. You and, know what I mean? And education should not be pick and choose what you want. It's you. Here are the facts. Here right. is, education is a foundation. Education is not, okay, okay, here you have your diploma. Now you're done. It should be, okay, you've learned how to critically think. Yep. Now go into the real world. Keep reading. Keep educating yourself. Always strive to be better. That's yeah. what we need to be. T- well, it's fostering an environment, like you're saying, of people who are able to critically think. People who are curious about what is going on in their day-to-day life. And it's uh, also creating well-rounded people as opposed to people that are just like, they can do math, they can read, done. That's not how <laughs> it works. Are we just pushing out corporate slaves who are going yes. to... Yes, yes. That, that is exactly what we're doing. It, yeah. If you want to know why America was great during the space race, why we became so technologically advanced, is because we put out... We taught Stole information think. from the Russians, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, yeah, exactly, you're right. Um, Chief White House strategist Steve Bannon has been appointed to the National... Security Council, on which the Secretary of State and the Secretary of Defense sit in a move John McCain called, quote, a rat. Here we go. A radical departure from any National Security Council in history, my friends. That was good. Thank you. That was, that was, that was good, was good, right? Oh, a you, little, big, yes? big step up from last week. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. Because it's a quick hit. You know what I mean? Uh, let's not gloss over that. Steve Bannon, who... Let's be honest. Seems like he's really running things. I mean, obviously, he's the chief White House strategist, so of course he's involved. But it seems like Trump and Bannon are kind of consolidating power, and they're just deciding unilaterally in a lot of ways. In any yeah. way that they can, they are taking advantage of that. Well, and there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of artic- or news agents, news companies right now who are actually publishing things saying, "Oh, Bannon's ha- having a coup right now." Which I mean, I've seen that from CNN. Yeah, I, I got that sent to me as which well. Which yeah. like that's obviously. I think Jeff sent it to me on Twitter. Yeah, it's like that. That it's not just a that. That's a scary thing that's going on right now. It's it very much feels like 
I'm understanding the fear of a Roman citizen around the time Caesar started started to take power. I know that's a th- it's like I don't I don't necessarily think that we have enough information or whatever to say it's a coup. Like the Trump's just going to somehow keep power indefinitely. Although he has already, um, but registered to vote. Uh, not registered to vote. He's already placed his papers to run in 2020. So which he, is odd. They're like that's very early. Well, that's because what. he can start taking money now. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. So he's or, so he can be bribed now for his future run. <laughs> right. So no, that's it's what, speech. Speech. Yeah. So people could talk to him like yes. really personally with make, make an offer he can't refuse. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but the Bannon thing is a fascinating thing because they're saying, look, Bannon's really qualified because he was in the army. Like he, no, he was, you know, well, he he's in the navy national, first. Of the all. navy. He should be in the national navy. But that, right. I know a lot of I know a lot of people who serve in the military that I don't want in the national security <laughs> of council. Of course. Right. Like respect to all the people who serve. But that doesn't mean they're all the top minds in this country. Yeah, sure. So, so anyway, so but Bannon is now really at the heart, at the seat of power in the United States government uh, in ways that illegally. How illegally? He doesn't have the authority to serve on that council. It's a senate. Well, it, we're gonna see. We're gonna uh, see. If you read the actual act that that uh, brings into existence the National Security Council. It says that you need to be Senate confirmed. It's supposed to be cabinet level positions. Right. Well, they uh, might, he might go through as some kind of Senate confirmation. Well, but... he's, right now he cannot be there. He has to go through a process. Right. Uh, as in addition, he removed, I believe, the Senate Secretary of Energy and someone else. It it says it requires. Yes, he's taking this... people off. Right, and he's also saying the Joint Chiefs of Staff only yeah. really need to be there on like a need to know, which is what I'm talking about. That's a thing. Like, in and of itself, it's not horrible, though it is. Like McCain said, alarming. a radical departure. It's alarming for sure. And he's also taking people, the the generals that he respects so much. He's taking them off the council on a need to know basis. Like if we really need to hear from you, we will. But otherwise, you don't have to be here. And he, that's mean, odd. They have a yeah. long going feud with the intelligence community, so right. they're gonna have their own intelligence that can tell them what they no, want. No, no. He gave that speech at the CIA where he talked oh, yeah. about the crowd. So he's be- fi- fine with it. The, they beca- love him because hmm. he didn't plant his own people there to laugh at his speech. No, no, he didn't do that I know, at all. Is that odd? He's behind weird? them a thousand percent. Yeah, a thousand, a thousand. I really love talking to you guys. I love it here. Yeah. It's, it's, but so anyway, so but these are things that are happening. That if Obama was doing it, I feel like there'd be a lot of outrage. There should be more attention. Is the media paying attention to this? Are they talking about it all the time? Because the right wants to talk about the fact that the media is so biased and they're in the tank for Hillary and blah blah. But how much are they covering this? So I'm not actually sure because I don't watch. I don't watch CNN. I don't yeah, watch I watch the, like the, Vice the, News. I re- yeah, it. I read. I read a lot of news. I'm reading. Me too. Right. So it's like I, I pick and choose news that I trust. So I'm not sure how the more. The, the general media is perceiving all of this. Yeah, and I can't imagine the local TV news is covering it in no. depth. They're probably like, in a in an interesting move, uh, President Trump appointed his White House Chief of Staff to the National Security Not Council. Not Chief of Staff. Anyway, uh, advisor, uh, Chief Strategy, yeah, uh, to the White House Security Council. Anyway, uh, a dog was caught in a tree, and it's got, you know what I mean? It's just gone. People aren't paying it's attention. probably not even mentioned. Oh, hold on. Can you tell me more about, more about this dog? That sounds interesting. Well, he's a Dalmatian. He's a little wild. Uh, he's a rescue. Very sweet. But he chased a cat. Okay. We, uh, we need to get him down. President Trump, finally, is supposedly, now this is an interesting thing, still using an out-of-date Galaxy S3 Android phone. Oh, I have the S5. I'm ahead of Trump. Yes. In so many ways, Joey. <laughs> Yay! In so many ways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so he's using this out-of-date phone that they're like is, is exceptionally easy to get yeah, hacked into. Yeah, very hackable. This is worse than what Hillary was doing. Yes. Okay? This is his day-to-day communications. They can just have it bugged. There's no way to know. 
You don't even know if he's the one tweeting. It, it could be the Russians tweeting. Well, that I think we'd find out. But anyway, but I'm just saying, yeah. he's using a phone that's completely out of date. Obama's phone, if you want to look into it, the BlackBerry that Obama used when he was in office, it took them months to build that. They like retrofitted it, like made yeah. it so he could still use his phone. But like, it was very, you know. Yeah, it was it, encrypted. It was good. Yeah, it was but very tough to get no, into. But they're no, not doing that here. No phone company makes a phone that needs the level of security the president has. Right. It's custom built. Right. Let alone one that's not even updated. It's an S3. You're using an S5, which I got to imagine is a year or two old at this point. Your what? S5? Remember the S7s came out and the batteries exploded? Oh, right. Okay. So, oh, yeah. So, the very well constructed phones. Meanwhile. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, so he's using a twice out of date phone that cannot even be updated anymore. They're not even updating it. That's what he's using. It's yes. completely insecure. Great. But yes, but Hillary was the real danger to national security. Perfect. Here's an email from Ava, and we're going to close with this. She sent me one before. And she sent me another one, and this this one actually is better for the conversation. She goes, but seriously, Trump has to have this. This isn't the average overall confident douche. This points to an abnormally high sense of self-importance and lack of empathy to others. Basically, she's saying Trump has na- narcissistic personality disorder. She likes to discuss it. Just a few phrases that stuck out to me in the first few paragraphs of the Wikipedia article. Excessive need for admiration. Hmm. These individuals often display arrogance, a sense of superiority, and power-seeking behaviors. Okay. May exhibit fragile egos, an inability to tolerate criticism, and a tendency to belittle others in an attempt to validate their own superiority. They tend to exaggerate their skills and accomplishments. Crowd size. When their own ego is wounded by a real or perceived criticism, their anger can be disproportionate to the situation. Yeah, he fucking very well might have some kind of personality disorder. There's no doubt about that. Crowd size, bro. Uh, I was actually reading about so ordinarily, there's a rule based on psychi- uh, psychiatrists and psychologists don't. Yes, we are not qualified to give this well, diagnosis. Well, uh, yes. what I was reading was like it was more about Barry Goldwater because people came out during Barry Goldwater's campaign saying, "Oh, he clearly has this, this, and this." Right. They they made a rule: you don't do this because, well, we don't want political backlash. Just stay out of politics. Yeah, we've taken no such uh, oath or anything, so we can talk about it. However, <laughs> we can just be well, speculative. So, but for example, my mother-in-law is a. Uh, God, I don't want to say say it wrong. Clinical psychologist or whatever. I forget. But okay. But she's got. She's in, she's in mental health care. Yes, and she said that she's like you know people that do say this, even colleagues that say it. They're like they're not supposed. She's like you can't. No. She's like it's there, completely. There is a gag rule. But well, it's I, not even a so, gag rule. She's like it's unethical to do it because you don't personally know Trump. You know what I mean? And yeah, if you did well, personally yeah. know him and you're his therapist, you're not allowed to talk about. Well, it, so. and and this Goldwater rule by the professional association was a gag rule saying don't do this. But right. despite hmm. that, I still saw an article that was. Uh, this week saying something along the lines of like psychologists psychologists are am, like giving this diagnosis of some it may not have been this exact diagnosis but something along the lines of narcissistic personality yeah disorder. well i mean he fits the fucking description i mean let's I'll, be honest but also let's say this i think anybody that runs for president becomes president something there is a little something in your personality where you even are obama said it that where it's oh, like you, you've you, got to be crazy enough to believe you could do the job to begin with you've so, got yeah. e- they all have an ego on some I level mean, like right you, you look at the guys like lbj who he would literally go around whip, whipping his dick out and showing it to people to is show that him. right lbj loved to whip his dick out and show how big it was i feel like clinton probably would do that too right? but a little bit that, that was he was more showing it to one woman at a time lbj okay. was like hey look at my dick it's sure. this big. Hey, there's wow, a group of women over there let's do it i didn't know that lbj was a cool was an interesting guy you were just like cool guy but yeah it's like <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway yeah so joey what do you what do you think thoughts about this uh again i'm not 
I'm, you know, I can't give a diagnosis. Right. But I think it would be interesting if uh, somewhere it said that uh, presidents have to go for a man- mental evaluation. Well, they that do. Would be I'm sure they go through some kind. But but it's not it's not therapy or being diagnosed. It's like, are they of sound mind to yeah. be able to do it? I mean, you know? there's no. I don't think there's any actual requirement they have to go through that. Yeah, maybe not. Well, but they do go through a physical and we, whatever. We haven't you know. seen his tax. Re- I mean, they go through physicals to make sure. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mental, like the, they're mentally competent. It's not like but, they're actually. But remember, their personality. Ronald Reagan was arguably undergoing had dementia by the time he left office. I think he did. Woodrow Wilson had was his wife took over after he was right had a stroke in office. That's true. There have been presidents who we don't know about their what's going on with them at times. Yeah, most people didn't know FDR was in a wheelchair. Yeah, is that amazing? Yeah, yeah they had those true. like secret entrances and exits from the White House and whatever. For yeah. four for four terms, they didn't know he was in a wheelchair. Right. So and they had it in the city, right? As well, like different. He had like his own subway entrance. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff like, like there's, a, and I, I I would just make the point to Ava that it is a little bit dangerous to start getting into. Okay, I I found this on Wikipedia. I'm gonna go out and say, oh, he has this. In this case, it probably like I've seen articles saying that this is probably true, but don't just go out and like. Do amateur diagnoses? Yeah, I mean, look, you can't. That guy goes along with the hyperbole thing. You, yeah, it does. Yeah. I'm happy to get the email from you, and of course, it's something we're talking about. It's not like you have any obligation not to do that. And it, but again, right, there is no way to prove it. However, it does seem like, yeah, maybe he does check a few of these boxes, and it's something to keep your eye on. Do some more research into it. How do you how do you appease a person with a narcissistic personality disorder? How do you get them to do what you want? Because if we could figure that out, then we can we can really uh, start cooking with gas. Well, I, I mean, part of the problem is I think like the article I was reading was saying the only thing that actually that you don't reason with them, right? That they won't they he won't even notice that they're protests. He'll hear the one person in the corner saying, "I love what you're doing," right? Like you're the greatest. He'll hear that one person and not be able to hear the millions of people protesting. <laughs> But here's my question with all this. Uh, what what prevents him from seeing that same article or an article reading it? The, the fact that he doesn't read South, articles? I mean, you, you know, we've, we've seen him. At, okay. At, at what point does self-actualization like, doesn't ah, well, happen? But that's, I mean, Jesus, Joe. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if it were that easy to read something and go, oh, my God, that's me, then people wouldn't need therapy. wouldn't need to go through all that shit. That's the problem. Seeing but, yourself is the you know hardest thing. We, you can see other people and go, well, obviously, his fucking problem is this. Yeah. But for that person to actually go, oh, shit, and internalize that and then I mean, try to make a change, it's very hard. We've seen him brushing, brushing facts aside all he wants, alternate facts. But we, politicians do that. That's yeah. the thing. You know what I mean? It's like we have to also you have to uh, you have to separate the public persona because we don't know him personally. That's the thing. Yeah. I don't I've never been in a room with Trump behind closed doors and heard what he has and, to say. And again, he that might is, be making decisions, you know, things that he says outwardly might not be the things that he's saying behind the scenes. He'll go, oh, you know what I'm going to say tomorrow? That would really, you yeah. know, so we don't know. So that's the other thing. But but a lot of politicians lie and exaggerate and whatever. This guy routinely, it seems like, is just making shit up off the cuff. Uh you know, inflating his own ego and whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's an interesting conversation. We don't know. We're not going to know. But yeah, it does seem like he kind of matches that profile a little bit. Sure. But it doesn't mean he can't do the job. That's the other thing. People that have disorders and whatever, it doesn't mean they can't function. They have to be treated or, or whatever, but they can do it. And a lot of sociopaths or psychopaths, I forget what it is, become CEOs because they have that drive where they don't really have empathy for other people and they, they're good at that good at what the job requires because they don't feel bad about doing it. They're like, no, this is what has to be done. And I do it. So I don't know. Interesting. That's it. That's all I got. Fantastic episode. You think? Yes. 
I got to try to figure out a way to get this podcast. Uh, well, we'll see just what happens over the next couple of weeks. Because I feel like Trump all we talk won't be about, as busy. No, I think he's going to. That's the thing. I think it's going to continue to be that. And I don't want the podcast to be completely Trump 100% of the time. But I feel like the first couple of weeks, whatever, we got to stay on it because he's causing a lot of uh, there's a blister- chaos. There's you know? a blistering pace. It is. And, and it's an intentional thing. Yes. You know, and that's Bannon. That's Bannon there. Knowing just, how to manipulate the media and just throw so much stuff out of people that people get tired and stop paying attention. Just try to drown us with too much, too many things going on. Absolutely. Stay and vigilant. create chaos, create problems, and that's disaster capitalism. That's the shock doctrine, you know, that I mentioned. Look into that stuff. And that's kind of what they're practicing here. We'll, we'll see where it goes. All right. Mandatory Samson. You can find us on soundcloud.com. Slash Mandatory Samson. You can leave a comment on each episode. You can follow us on there. You can also email us, Mandatory Samson at gmail.com. You can go on iTunes. You can rate, subscribe, whatever it is. Leave a you know a comment. That'd be really nice. What else, Joey? I'm at Samp on all social media platforms. Joey is at Joey from Jersey. Jersey is, of course, spelled with a Z. Matt D. Weiss on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Not that I use it very much, but... Blue Apron dot com slash samson you can sign up there get your first three mail three meals free with free shipping go check it out that'd be great blueapron.com slash samson we appreciate the support that's it keep your ear to the street or whatever uh, keep your eyes peeled do not be hyperbolic stay motivated not necessarily angry but anger is a good motivator we all understand that i'm gonna stay motivated although i'm probably gonna go take a nap right now i love you guys i will talk to you next episode This has been a Stand Up Labs production powered by digital media. Subscribe to new and archive episodes wherever you listen to podcasts and find all of our shows at StandUpLabs.nyc. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. No, we out.